So, um, a, little, a little far away from Acts, we have in Psalm 96, so it's slightly different, but I'll give you a second to flick over to it. And also, there's also a passage from Revelation we will do afterwards. Fancy stuff. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Uh, are we not doing the whole one? I'm just going to do the whole one. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. So to the other end... There it is. What it? Mm-hmm. So yes, from Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, wonderful to be back with you. It's a great, great joy to be here and to be able to look at these Bible passages together. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at the psalm there, but if you're looking for something to read afterwards to kind of reflect on the stuff that we talk about now, that Psalm 96 would be an excellent place to go. And what a, what a great hope there is for us at the, in that passage from Revelation 7, especially at the end. No more tears. You know, we, we kind of need to hang on to that hope, don't we? Because I, I really think, you know, this is a time of where everybody's kind of emotional state has been rattled. Uh, everybody's got things going on. A lot of us are doing life tough. Just that hope that Jesus is going to fix this, that's something to hang on to, isn't it? With those things in mind, let's pray that God would work in our minds and our hearts as we uh, look at his word and think about mission together.
Our Father, as we sing together, we pray that we would sing for your glory, that we would be humble before you and know that you are the God of all the world, all the universe, the God of the nations. And as we declare the truth, may we declare it among the nations. And Father, our prayer now is that you would really galvanize us together as a mission church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've given this talk the title, How to Evangelize the Whole World. What do you reckon? How to evangelize the whole world. You may be thinking the preachers lost the plot. You know, are you kidding? Is this the real world we're planning to evangelize? You may be even hearing this and thinking, you know what, that's actually offensive. Evangelize the world, huh? Perhaps you're on board, but you're thinking, sure, but you know, this just ain't gonna happen. Have you tried talking to anyone about Jesus lately? It's just slow, hard work. And, and what about Jesus? What does he say about world evangelization? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, this is before he went to the cross, he's talking to his disciples about the end times. In verse 14, Jesus says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I don't know if you've noticed that verse before. I think Jesus is saying, the whole world will be evangelized, and only then will I return. World evangelization, then the end of the world. Now, some people misinterpret this, okay? And you'll sometimes see this kind of thing out and about there, and they'll say, look, we've been given a job to do, and until we do it, Jesus won't return, and so get on with it, or else you're delaying the return of Christ. And there's kind of a guilt trip, isn't it? I don't think it depends on us. I don't think we're supposed to be walking around feeling guilty about this, about this. But, in, but it does involve us. It does involve the church, if we will participate. And so will we? Will we participate in what Jesus' agenda has been revealed to be? Do we actually want Jesus proclaimed in all the world, the whole planet? So I've been asked to do an Acts 29 talk. The book of Acts finishes in chapter 28 with Paul under house arrest in Rome, still doing his evangelism, arrested, but the text says he's unconstrained. Extraordinary, isn't it? You would have thought arrest was a kind of constraint, but it says, you know, it's basically his imprisonment did not hinder his witness, and the book ends with this divisive statement that Paul makes to a bunch of Jews who come and visit him, verse 28, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen, and Jesus even calls this the age of the Gentiles. So then what happens after Acts 28? Do the Gentiles listen? What would the next chapter or chapters of Acts look like if we were writing down the ongoing Acts of Jesus' disciples? Would it involve world evangelization? So we're gonna do this Acts 29 thing and I wanna do it in three ways. I wanna do it by asking three questions. And they're kind of where are we questions? Where are we up to kind of questions? So firstly, where are we up to in the Bible's picture? Secondly, where are we up to in the history of the world? And thirdly, where are we up to as a church? What does it look like for us, Trinity Church Allgate, to be outworking Acts 29? So the Bible, world history, 
our church. Firstly, where are we up to in the Bible's picture? Acts shows us the start of world mission and Revelation 7 kind of gives us a glimpse of the end. And to do this, we're gonna, we're gonna look at those verses in chapter seven. A vision of the heavenly gathering given to the Apostle John sometime before the end of the first century, looking towards the end. Revelation 7, 9 says this, 9 and 10. After this, I looked, this is John's vision, he looks, and there before me was a great multitude of people that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people group, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. It was a new Palm Sunday. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A word of great praise to God for salvation. So this is a picture of the future and it's what Jesus' words predicted. That the gospel would be preached in all the world and that the end would come. Right? You see it right here, proven in this picture. How do we know that, that this comes after the gospel has been preached to the whole world? Well, there's two ways we know it. Firstly, we know they've heard the gospel because a few verses on, one of the elders asks, you know, who are these folk in white robes and where did they come from? John in the vision says, well, sir, you're one of the elders, you tell me. Uh, so the elder tells him, they're the ones who've come out of the great tribulation or as one translation puts it, the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, since when do you wash robes in blood and they come out white. Don't know if you've tried it. This is not cleaning tips. This is the cleansing from guilt that you receive as a result of Jesus' death if you trust him. Wash your heart in Jesus' blood and God will see it as perfectly pure. Even though we know, you know, my heart is not perfectly pure. Wash your mind in Jesus' blood and God will see it as perfectly clean. Wash your whole being in Jesus' blood. Now perhaps you feel the idea of depending on somebody's death for your cleansing to be just an awful thought. Depending on another person to make me innocent. I'm not that bad, am I, that another person would have to have their blood poured out. Well, the gospel tells us that the only reason Jesus' blood was shed was for human sin. Can you think of any other reason why God would take on human flesh and then rather than being exalted sort of in the, in the first instance, allow himself to be brutally and dishonorably murdered? Was it a plan gone wrong? No. It may not be the plan that you or I would have made, but Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He says to Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So unpleasant maybe, but if we are drenched in Jesus' blood, we are cleansed 
before God. So we know this multitude has heard the gospel because they're wearing these white righteousness robes. Secondly, we know that the gospel has gone to the whole world because the multitude is made up of people from the whole world, from every nation, it says, every tribe, every people, group, and language. This multitude of sinners cleansed by Christ's death is truly multicultural. It's much more so than any church that you or I have ever visited. And how did they come to be cleansed by Christ's death? No, really, how, how did this happen? In, in the history that comes before this moment, how did it come that the people from all around the world, from every tribe, have come to be wearing those white robes? Well, they heard the message. That's how you get cleansed. You hear that Jesus is your only hope for reconciliation with God. You hear it. And you believe it. There's no other way to be cleansed and restored than hearing that message. That's how you get cleansed before God. You entrust your well-being before God to Jesus. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be reconciled. And folks, if you, if you haven't entrusted your well-being to him, then it's not too late. This gathering hasn't come yet. The doors haven't yet been closed. You see, Christianity is not a teaching program about being righteous to enable you to work out how to get righteous. It's a message that you hear and you either accept it, you either receive it, just like we received communion and we said, yep, this is for me, or you reject that idea that Jesus is righteousness and you say, uh, no thanks, I don't need you, I'll take my chances. And since it's a message, it's something that needs to be told. That's what you do with a message. And since people live in different countries and they speak different languages and they have vastly different cultural distinctives, what do we need to do? We need to go to them. And we need to cross the cultures because Cultures don't, you don't automatically or naturally uh, tell messages across cultures. It's not how culture works. We've got these little barriers between them all. So how does it work? We cross cultures, we learn languages, we learn cultures. You know, they're not going to come to us here in Allgate. Now sure, a small group of wealthy children from some countries will come and study here. And we will do whatever international's ministry we can, and that's wonderful. But it is quite rare for them to become effective evangelists returning home. I'm not saying we shouldn't try and make that happen, that's excellent. But on the whole, look, the nations, only a tiny little drop in the bucket are coming to us. They're not gonna hear the message on the internet. I mean, sure, you might think, well, hang on, you can Google how, how can I be saved, but what language are you gonna Google that in? You know, for the vast majority of the languages in human culture, you look, you, you Google, what must I do to be saved? And you're not gonna get any answers. We need to go to them and we need to stay with them for a long time, long enough for locals in that country to believe the message, for an indigenous church to become capable of sharing the gospel and then that for that church to grow. So this picture of the multitude, as we wrap up this first longer point, it tells us something, it tells us that God sends missionaries. How else does this vision happen? Missionary is an old fashioned term, but it just means sent ones. 
These are people who share the message across cultures and often across the seas or across borders. Yes, we're all involved in mission in some ways. You know, we can send each other back to our friendships and so on, but at its heart, the idea of mission is the idea of sending across cultures to other local communities. The church must send missionaries if it is going to participate in Jesus' program here. If we're going to participate, we need to send missionaries. Global mission is not an add-on to our faith. It's actually the centerpiece. Remember what Jesus said? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So question one, where are we up to in the Bible? We're in the middle. The church has sent out some missionaries, but there are still many nations, tribes, people groups, and language groups to go. So now is the time for sending missionaries, which brings us to question two, where are we up to in history? And a quick survey of 2,000 years, I promise it'll be quick, uh, but numbers tell a powerful story. These ones do anyway. You, you may want to jot them down because I'm going to flick a few of them at you. These stats are coming from a book called The Future of the Global Church by Patrick Johnston. He's the guy behind the Operation World Resource where you can pray your way around the world um, every day. Um, yeah. By Acts chapter 4, there are 5,000 believers. We remember that. By the end of the first century, there may, be as, there may have been as many as 1.4 million Christians, which is about 0.8% of the world's population. That's not bad for 60 years or so, is it? 0.8%. I'm going to trace those percentages. By the year 2000, it had got, sorry, 200, um, it had gone from 0.8 to 4.7 in 100 years. 4.7% of the world's population. That's a lot of missionary activity, isn't it? By the year 300, it had gone from 4.7 to 7.5% of the world's population confessing Jesus. During the next century, Roman Emperor Constantine would become a Christian, becomes a complex period as a result, but by the year 400, 13.4% of the world's population were Christians. The fifth century, masses of missionary activity, and so by 500, Christians hit 19.9% of the world's population, one in five people on the earth within 450 years were Christian. Now let's pause, were they all mature disciples? We don't know, I doubt it in some ways. In our own country, just because 50% of people or whatever it will be after this latest um, census put Christian down, doesn't mean they have saving faith, but it does mean that the gospel has been preached extensively in Australia. Most of Australia's people groups are called reached people groups because of this. We are a gospel-rich country, not a gospel-poor country. And CMS and most mission agencies send missionaries to gospel-poor countries. Remember, Jesus didn't say that the whole world would be Christian, but that the message would go to the whole world. It's a really important distinctive. And I think it's astounding that nearly 20% of the world called themselves Christian by the year 500. By 600, it would be 21.5%. Then over the next 300 years, the Christian, there'd be about 40 million Christians in the world and it would just stay the same for about 300 years. But the population would grow significantly, plus it's the era of the growth of Islam. The 13th century is another big uptick. By 1300, the world is 
24% Christian. And then it goes down and it goes up and down for five centuries until the incredible 19th century. Incredible century, massive explosion in mission activity during the 1800s. In 1800, just a few hundred Protestant missionaries were on the field. By 1900, 100 years later, 45,000 Protestant missionaries are on the field. Multiple spiritual awakenings in many parts of the world. By 1900, Christianity represented 34.4% of the world's population. One in three human beings called themselves Christian. Now, what was gonna come next? Chris forwarded me a great article this week uh, from the Gospel Coalition website by Douglas A. Sweeney called, When Did Evangelicals Stop Caring About Missions? Eek, that's a confronting title, isn't it? When did evangelicals stop caring about missions? Well, Sweeney points to the world being poised for an incredible 20th century. It was gonna be the Christian century, a golden age of world Christianity. But what happened? Two gross world wars, dozens of genocides, massive population growth, and particularly in areas across Asia and Africa uh, where Islam was significant, significant Islamic areas growth and growth in that religion, along with a devastating decline in Christian commitment in Europe, followed by the rest of the West. So if we just look at the Northern Hemisphere for a second, in that 100 years between 1900 and 2000, in the Northern Hemisphere, Christian went from representing 82% of the population to 41%, slashed. And along with this, nearly 45 million martyrs, which is, so there was plenty of commitment from, from some of them some of us, and most of that was at the hands of atheist secularists. So what's happening then in the 20th century? Is Jesus' plan being walked back before it's even finished? Well, no, if you Google the percentage now, it's still around 31 to 32%, but why hasn't it dropped? And it's because of the global south. Have you heard that expression, the global south? Several regions, I mean, I already mentioned some of Asia and Africa, but in several regions in what we also know as the two-thirds world, and, and these are mostly in Asia, Africa, and South America, in these regions, Christian faith grew from nearly 18% of the population to 59% by the year 2000. So what's happened in the 20th century? A massive growth in the church in many of the poorest parts of the world and in some ways, that, that nearly offsets the massive exodus from Christian faith in the West. And where does that leave us? What does it help us to think about the 21st century? Well, surely it's a good time to get involved in cross-cultural discipleship and evangelism, don't you think? I mean, look at what God's doing. Surely we in the West will actually see the huge opportunities for evangelism and discipleship in the world, in the parts of the world not yet touched by Christianity. You know, we've got massive resources. We might be on the decline in terms of numbers, but our English language theological resources, for example, our leadership resources, you know, maybe we could share those. You know, you've got the church, church around the world stumbling over itself, trying to set a set apart leaders, stumbling over itself to to grow the leaders in their the theological um, knowledge and competence in preaching. 
I mean, we, we've got all those resources. They're just in our, they're in the wrong language. They're in our culture. Doesn't mean we shouldn't keep using them ourselves, but surely this is a good time to give some of those resources to the part of the world that's really um, taking off. But of course, we've got to translate it. We've got to go and enculturate ourselves. Otherwise, you know, it's meaningless. Now, a cynic might say, well, surely we shouldn't be abandoning the West. You know, what about our friends and neighbours? Do we just give up and focus everything on the, on the 1040 window? Have you heard of the 1040 window? I'm using a bit of jargon this morning, I know, but this is, this is the next big frontier for mission. It's the peoples living between 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator. So it's the kind of region that runs all the way across North Africa, right across the, the Middle East, and Central Asia, South Asia, East Asia. This is a massive area of huge need Massive number, thousands and thousands of unreached people groups in that area. So, but do we give up, you know, evangelizing here? No, of course we don't. Our church must keep witnessing in Australia. But the heavenly picture is about mission. That's how it gets there. That's how it happens under God. Now is the time for sending missionaries. The harvest is ripe, as Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and he would say it again today, I'm sure. And so he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Which brings us to our concluding question. We've looked at where are we up to in the Bible's picture, where are we up to in the history picture. So thirdly, where are we up to as a church? Where are we up to? I am so encouraged that you are partnering as a church with three of our CMS missionaries, with the Davises and Maggie and the Prins, who I think you saw recently, they're, they're finishing up very soon. So partnership, but what does that look like for you personally? Are you engaged in the mission of God to the nations? I said before the sermon that uh, this is something for every Christian. Do you see that vision in in uh, Revelation 7, you know, you can't see their faces, but you know their people and you, you know what people are, that they're like us, and yet they've all got different skin color and cultural background. And, and they've come to be around the throne because of the, of the work that God has been doing through the church. Because it's the church that sends missionaries. It, it's not just this, like the super spiro person who kind of says, you know, I, I'm the most perfect person here. Uh, I'm the one who should be the missionary. I'm going to go off and show you all just how perfect I am. Uh, it's not actually that. It's about the church setting apart missionaries. And we train them. And we send them and we partner with them and we support them and make sure they're well looked after in their vital contribution to Christ's agenda. And yet we know that they're just people too, and nothing they can do can actually bring about God's vision, only the Spirit of God at work in them and through them. So at CMS, we talk about pray, care, give, go. Have you heard of that? Pray, care, give, go. I'm loving those nods. Warms my heart. Um, the Bible calls all of us to be involved in mission, and what this means is partnership. We all do it. We pray for missionaries. We care for missionaries. 
We give for missionaries and we go. We put our hands up or we stick someone else's hand up and we send them to be a missionary. So to bring things to a conclusion, I wanna talk about each of those four just for a couple of minutes each. Firstly, pray. Do you pray for missionaries? Yes, no question. You don't have to say it out loud. Um, Obviously we pray from the platform, but what about in your own personal devotions? Ask God to let his kingdom come. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us that was something we should be praying for. So what could it look like? Well, pray that there might be more workers for the harvest. Pray for the workers who are already out there. Pray for Maggie witnessing to girls who've been rescued from exploitation, who need to hear that Christ actually is the great rescuer. And that's what her and her team are trying trying to do every day, to share Christ, but the engine room for what happens there in Phnom Penh is your prayers here in your couch at home. You may be aware that CMS SANT, we recorded a uh, podcast because we had to cancel summer conference. We stuck all those sessions into a podcast. If you haven't uh, listened to it yet, it's it's easy to find on our website. It's called the Heart of Mission podcast. At the end of episode two, oh, she's about two thirds of the way through episode two, you can hear Maggie talking about a whole list of unanswered prayers. I just asked her for one Sorry, not unanswered prayers, answered prayers, I just, (laughs) Um, there are some unanswered prayers, but you know, they keep getting answered, so they change their category. But she actually, I only asked for one, but she just gave us four, so have a listen to that, it's amazing. Do you pray for Arthur and Tammy in Tanzania? They're working to support the local leadership of Christian university student groups all across Tanzania. So they're in Dar es Salaam, but their ministry is a national ministry. Under God, their world, their ministry could have a huge impact as the leaders of student groups are trained in sharing Christ and discipling people. Uh, our prayer is that many, many people would give themselves to Christ and grow in their commitment to him and lead the church. You do pray for God's kingdom, don't you? I'm gonna be a bit impolite here. I don't know how you can say you're committed to the kingdom of Christ if you're not praying for the kingdom of Christ. I wanna encourage you to pray about this. You know, we need to stop praying that God will make our lives more comfortable. You know, I know we wanna get over that cold or we wanna have a relaxing weekend and those kind of things, I, I understand that. But what God wants us to pray is that his kingdom would come. So this is what we gotta do, brothers and sisters that Christ would be known in all the earth. Secondly, care. Now, recently I interviewed NNR, because we're going to the internet, NNR is what we'll call them. Uh, They had been serving overseas for 11 years in Southeast Asia. They were finishing up and I wanted to ask them to tell our church how we could partner well. We're about to get some new missionaries, the Purdies. How do we partner well with them? What are you gonna tell us? What's your tip? And I thought they'd say, well, Pray lots, I'm sure they would. Or they'd say, give generously, I'm sure they would. But what they said was, love them. Love them. Care about them. Because mission overseas is really hard. Missionaries' lives get turned upside down by crossing cultures and they need our love. That's not, love is not just a nice thing. 
It's how the church does its partnership. So how can you, for example, show love to the Prins as they finish up after 17 years on location or any of the other workers? Um, you know, in, all of our workers are available on the CMS website. You can always just look them up and click the contact page and just send them a two-line message and then you'll start an email conversation and, you know, take an interest in their countries. It's so easy to do that these days, obviously with Google, but even better than Google, the Operation World app you can get for your phone, you can just search for any country and it will give you a whole bunch of stats and a whole bunch of prayer points. So pray for their country. So care, pray, care. Thirdly, give. I was talking to a friend recently who works in Christian ministry fundraising. You might think, oh, that would be a hard job. Uh, she's actually really energized by this job because she sees it as a tangible expression of people's faith. She loves seeing that happen when people's eyes get open to what I can do with my money. If people believe that gospel ministry is important, then giving proves it. You believe, oh, prove it. Now, you might not do that publicly, but it's important. Now, in the West, we might be time poor, but we're not money poor. Lots of other parts of the world are money poor, but we're not. You know, I know that groceries are stupidly expensive and lots of other things at the moment, but you know, if we've got money in our bank accounts, then we've got money. Her comment to me was, you know, why do we keep saying, nothing in my hand I bring? Now, I know why we say that, because it's the old hymn, the Rock of Ages, and the context of that hymn is, you know, don't try and prove that you've got something of your own righteousness to bring before God, but that line, nothing in my hand I bring, it's kind of really stuck, I reckon, and we were thinking about it, we just can't find a place in the Bible where it says that. In fact, it says the opposite. In Exodus 34, verse 19, God says in his law, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. Wow. And a few verses down, verse 26, if you're trying to work out, well, what should I bring? Well, God says, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And they do that. And you know, a few chapters later, Moses actually has to say, stop, 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 I've got too much. Imagine that. Imagine Chris getting up here and saying, oh, stop, 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 we've got too much money. We can't keep growing this ministry or some other wording to that, not quite to that effect. <laughs> Maybe give to CMS, um, whatever he says. Um, you know, sending missionaries is expensive. Um, we might be able to save a little bit of money, we could cut back on caring for them, you know, cut back on their standard of living. Their, their standard of living is already pretty modest compared to many of us. So are you putting your finances to work? I'm not talking about putting them to work, earning more money. Plenty of ways you can do that. Just Google, you know, put my money to work and that's what you'll find, ways to make your money grow into more money. But we're, talk we're talking about investing it in eternity, something that you could actually see the benefit of in a million years' time. And it'd be a lot better than just a few more dollars. You know, putting your dollars to work for the kingdom of Jesus, giving to the local church, giving to the poor, giving to global mission. Pray, care, give, and fourthly, go. You know what? There's not a lot of people lining up at the moment for global mission. 
You know, I've got a bunch of names in the pipeline. I'm very thankful to God for that, but it's not loads of names. What about this church? Let's, let's have a look around. Let's, let's make each other feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Who could we send? Dobby and a mate. <laughs> They'd need to be willing and able. <laughs> But this is a church activity, it's partnership. If somebody from Trinity Church Allgate goes overseas, they'll need partners here. So, you know, who could we set apart and who could we support? Maybe, could this be a prayer goal for the next 12, 12 months, for example, that God might lay it on our hearts? You know, someone who might go or someone that we might encourage to go or maybe a, a short list of people who might go. And if you're the one to go, then at some point, you, you know, you might need to actually put your hand up and say, okay, <laughs> I'll think about it. And if you're not sure about that, then I'm happy to talk to you anytime. I'm not going to try and twist your arm. I wouldn't do that. Um, I don't want to pressure somebody. If God wills it, then he will enable it. After all, global mission is his thing. And that's a good place for us to wind up. Is global mission... God's hobby, something that he does on the side in between you know, healing our colds and giving us a comfortable, fun, peaceful weekend. No. Uh, it's, is it his full-time job? You know what, I think it's even more than that. I think it's his entire agenda and God never sleeps. Mission is everything to him. This vision of Christ at the center of the throne, glorified by people from all tribes, tongues, nations. That is his heart. It's the extension of his love and mercy for the human race and for the whole of creation. It's an extension of his wisdom and righteousness because he knows what is best. And it's his glorious vision. And so our Father in heaven let your kingdom come. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the extraordinary things that happened in the book of Acts. We thank you for the extraordinary vision we see in John's revelation. We thank you for the extraordinary growth of Christ's name in the world. And we thank you for the extraordinary honor of being part of your mission. Our Father, humbly we come before you and say, please will you, will you send us? And whether it's sending us back to our prayer chair or back to our emails or back to our, our bank account online interface or whether it's sending us to a nation far and wide. Lord, would you please send this church into global mission? And would you please give us a conviction about what you'd have us do? And we pray this so that Jesus' name would be honoured and that we would have the joy of seeing people around the throne uh, who we'd never seen before, but people we know will be there because of your love for the nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.